Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in our series on the book of Philippians. And uh, if you're new here, I know there's no chapter 6. This is part 6, not chapter 6. We're actually still in chapter 3. But uh, as, we, as we go on to the second half of chapter 3, I think it's, it's important to kind of review the first half of this chapter to get the whole gist of it. Because really, in chapter 3, Paul is kind of giving his spiritual biography, if you will. He's talking about his spiritual past, his spiritual present, and his spiritual future. And we're not going to have any ghosts. We're not going to have anybody stealing presents. It's not the ghosts of Christmas past and future, but he's talking about basically a, a transition of where we are in our life. And last week, verses 1 through 11, Paul was basically speaking of his spiritual past. And if you remember, he basically said, and humanly speaking, was, I'm kind of the man. I got everything figured out. This is what he said in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. That's a pretty big boast. He says this is basically, he was like, man, I was the man. I had it all figured out. If you wanted to, to get right with God, you just had to look like me. The thing is, is he had a, uh, an awakening moment on the road to, to Damascus when he realized, oh wait, I actually don't have it all figured out. But in his past, basically the, the, his spiritual past, he was doing everything by, by, by works, by obtaining it of his own uh, volition. But today we're going to get started and actually start looking at Paul's a spiritual present, and then we're going to look into the spiritual future as well. So if you remember, this is where we end. I'm going to read verses uh, 7 through 11 so we can have a good jumping off point for the next few verses. In verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He was talking about all that gain that he had in being a Pharisee and doing everything right. He said, You know what? All that I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering becoming like him in his death. How many know that's done by faith, by the way? You don't actually have to die. Although some do die for the Lord. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When we're talking about Paul, the one thing that we can see is that Paul's goal was to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be all Christ had in mind for him. How many of you, that's the way that you think? Is your goal to know Christ, to be like Christ, and to be everything that Christ has for you? I think that's one of the ways that we should modify our thinking. So many of us are caught up in what's going on in our day-to-day -day stuff. We get caught up in our jobs and our family and our, our, our government and, poly, and sports teams. We get caught up in everything else and we forget that we're supposed to look like Christ, get close to Christ, and be everything that He has for us to be. Because I want you to know that every single person in this room God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He has something that He wants for you to do. I think we need to keep that in mind as we look through the next sessions, as we look through the next uh, scriptures that Paul's going to talk about. So let's get started without any further ado. 
Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's spiritual present. Previously, he thought he had it figured out, got a rude awakening, learned that he didn't have it figured out. He was going for righteousness based on works or the law, but the truth is, is that the law will never make anybody righteous. Your works will never make anybody righteous. Even if you could live perfectly, you were born in a state of being separated from God. But Paul wanted to be like Jesus in every way and what Jesus wanted him to be. He knew that he was a mess before, but he said, if I press in by faith and begin to live my life in such a way that I look like Jesus, maybe some things can change. This is where I'm at right now. This is what I want to do. How many of you is your goal to look like Jesus? That should be each and every one of our goals. This is a worthy goal for us. But how do we know that sometimes that's hard to do? Sometimes that can be a little bit difficult. And Paul recognized, even Paul recognizes that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. How many of you guys are like, oh, thank goodness, if Paul can't do it, then maybe, I have, maybe it's okay that I mess up every now and then. The truth is, is if you're not living your life perfectly, one, it should be your goal. Your goal should be to live like Christ. But you also need to not beat yourself up so bad that you can never get out of it. That you, you get so focused on your failure that you stop looking at Christ. I think that's the biggest problem that all of us have is we get so focused inwardly on our failure and we forget to look at Christ's success and living that out for our lives. You see, living and growing as a Christian is a process. Now, I know there are some people, they get saved in their life just in an instant seems like it turns around. And there's people like me, I got saved 20 years ago and I've been slowly working it out over the course of my life. And I get a little bit closer each and every day, but I certainly, like Paul, know that I'm not perfect. I've not obtained it yet. And I figure if Paul's not perfect, none of us should claim to be either. Because I think if anybody was closest to it, it would have been Paul. And that's the thing is, when we read the Scriptures, we read the stories of the Bible, I think that's why the Bible includes so many failures. It's so we don't ever get confused. See, the, the Bible's not like Instagram. On Instagram, anybody ever heard the, the expression, my best life? Some of you old people just nod your head. I'll, I'll explain <laughs> in a second. But basically, it's this idea on Instagram. It's a social media platform where people are posting pictures of what's going on in their life. But there's this idea that we only show the pictures of the good times, the perfect times. And if in some people, man, you can, you can manipulate photos to make them look however you want, where you look thinner, stronger, look like you're in a better place than you actually are. All people see is, is people happy. And then they look at their own life where they don't have the Instagram filter on it. They don't have the, the snapshots of what looks good. They have their own whole life where they see where my life doesn't always look like that. And it's hard on them and it makes them depressed because they're wondering, why can't I just be like this person? Because you don't see the bad times. How many know it's good the Bible isn't like that? 
How many, you know, that when we look at somebody's life, we see their hard times. When Paul, who we look at and we could think, man, Paul had it all figured out. You read the scripture, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We can think, man, he must have had it figured out. He never had any failures. He never had any faith crises. He never doubted. He always did everything perfectly. But he says, no, I haven't already obtained this. Paul was a man just like any of us with the same failures and fallings and temptations. And he just pressed into God to work through them. And when we look at his life, we, pro- we, we see like, man, he, was, he just had it all figured out. And I'm sure that the people that were living alongside of him thought the same thing. And I know that from experience because what tends to happen when you're in a position as a pastor or a leader, people put you up on this pedestal like they can do no wrong. They have it all figured out. People put you on a pedestal, and what happens is, is when they finally do see that you don't have it figured out, the pedestal gets kicked out from underneath you, and you fall, and you hit so hard you can't get back up. Paul's saying, hey, I'm not up on a pedestal. I'm just like you guys. I want you to know, church, I struggle just as much as any of you guys. One time I was talking to, to John many years ago, and I was getting him ready to start leading the youth group. And I said, man, it's okay if you don't have it figured out. It's okay if you don't know all the details. I said, man, most of the time I'm just winging it. And he said, really, Pastor Wayne, it look, it, you always look like you have it figured out. I'm like, you have no idea. I've never done most of this stuff before. I'm figuring it out as I go. I don't know everything. And I make mistakes. It's one of the things that I press so hard on making people realize that we're a family here because the thing is, in a family, you tick each other off. Anybody got family members? Nobody can tick me off more than my sister. But that's what happens in a family. You make each other mad and then you get over it. The truth is, is that, that we're going to have issues. We're going to have fallings. Yes, even the pastor is going to irritate you sometimes. Some of you that spend more time around me than others, like, yeah, that happens all the time. But you know that I love you, and you, I'm not perfect, but I keep getting more and closer and closer every day as I press into God, as I put my trust and faith in Him. And the same should go for all of us. The, the downside is, is that... The, if we get stuck in this Instagram mentality where we always see is the good of other people, we never see the bad, then we can get a, a misconstrue what our life should look like. The truth is, is that we're going to live, we're going to fall, we're going to make mistakes, but you only fail if you don't get back up. As long as you get back up, you're going to be okay. Amen? So Paul says, I've not already attained it, but I press on to make it my own. You see, Paul knew that, that he wasn't there yet, but he wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going to give up. You see, he said, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. That should be the motivational factor for everything that you do in, in your relationship with Christ. He gave up everything to make you his own. He didn't leave any part out. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't mess up. He did it for you. So Paul says, he made me his own, so I want to make him my own as well. And like I said, the only way to fail in this endeavor, the only way is to stop pressing on. That's when people fail. They stop looking forward and pressing into Christ. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times, but how many times does he get back up? Seven times. You only fail if you only get up six times. But we press on. And Paul begins to use a sports reference to to help us understand what's going on. I love the Bible's written like that too. The Bible is written in a way that even if you're dumb like me, you can understand it. 
even if you don't, uh, you know, you're not, not all fancy, you know all the big stuff you can understand. He says, I'm going to use a, a, a sports reference here. He says, brothers, uh, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Basically, he's using a race to explain what he's talking about. And if you think about that time, what they're used to in the Roman areas, that, that, that's not real clear if he's talking about a foot race or a chariot race, but I, the, what I like to picture, because it's what was described to me, is it's a chariot race that he's talking about. And he says, you know what? One thing I do is I forget what lies behind. Now, if you think about this in the context of a race, if you're in a chariot and you're, and you're racing the other, the other contestants, if you pass somebody, if all you can think about is the person behind you, if all you can think about is the one that you just passed, then you're going to veer off course. He says, I forget what lies behind me. If they're behind me, they're done. I'm going to keep looking forward to the prize. Because if you don't look forward, you begin to veer course. If I want to walk my way back to Blake... And my goal is to get back there, but I'm looking over here. You have a tendency to kind of veer off course. Next thing you know, I'm sitting in, in Nick's lap and everybody's awkward. <laughs> you see, we veer off course if we don't keep our eyes on the prize. And that's what he's saying. You know what? I forget what lies behind me. I forget the stuff that when I fell, when I fell the other week, when something happened and I messed up, I'm going to forget that. I'm going to believe God that he said that I'm forgiven. I'm going to believe him that he said that I'm victorious, that I'm more than a conqueror. So I'm going to get back up. I'm going to put my eyes straight back on him and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep marching and keep pressing on. Because what happens when you're going forward, if you look behind you, you can just get stuck. You're focusing on the failures. You're focusing on, on what's messed up. And then the next thing you know, you've not made any progress. And many times we end up going backwards. And we don't have our eyes on the prize. You see, and he describes it as a, as, a, as a race with a prize on the end. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize. How many of you guys want to stand before Jesus and have him hear, hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? You've got to keep pressing on towards that goal. And Paul's not saying that in order to be saved, you have to do things. He's not saying that your salvation is based on your works, but as a result of your salvation, it should encourage good works in you. And we want to keep our eye on the prize, serving Him, living for Him, so that one day we stand before Him and He does say, well done and good and faithful servant. Instead of like Dr. Leon used to always say, you stand before Jesus and He goes, well, Done? We want to stand before Him knowing that we ran the race looking like Him. And that's the thing we always have to keep in mind too is that it's not just talking about the bad things. It's easy to, to put those things in our mind and talk about our failures and our fallings. We put those behind us. But how many know that you need to put your sex successes behind you as well? Sometimes we get so caught up in something that we did good that we can never leave that place. We did something good for God and we get stuck there and we never make any more progress after that. There are so many people that are, that are, that are yearning for the good old days. It's easy to get stuck in that mentality, yearning for the good old days, because we did something good, something happened, there was a revival, there was something that went on that was fantastic for God, and we never do another thing good because we're so focused on that that we don't look towards the future. This, what Paul's describing, if you guys remember a couple weeks ago in chapter 2, you see that I just tried to push my glasses up, I don't have glasses on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but if we remember in chapter 2, Paul said to work out your own salvation. Remember when we were talking about that? What he's talking about is to live out what has been accomplished inside of you. This is how you do it. By pressing on towards the prize, keeping your eyes on Jesus, not looking back at your failures or your successes, but looking forward to what God has for you now. This is how we work out our own salvation. It's the practical application. So church, are you running a race like there's a prize at the end? Are you going to receive your reward or your prize at the end? Or are you going to get there wondering what happened? The truth is, is we only have so much time on this earth. How many know that when you get to heaven, you don't need to be victorious anymore? Because there's nothing to be victorious over. You don't have to be a conqueror because there's nothing to conquer. You don't have to have faith anymore because you're already there. All that stuff, all that other stuff falls away and love is all that's left. So how about we live victorious now because that's what Christ died for. Let's live as conquerors now. Let's live with faith now. Let's go ahead and keep running our race with that goal of the prize, realizing that you're here with a purpose. One of the interesting things that he says here is, he says, I forget what lies behind and I'm straining forward. That means that sometimes we have to work at it. You think back to this analogy he's using, can you imagine being a chariot driver? Or really, you can even think of race car drivers today. There's some of the, you would think that to be a race car driver, you don't really have to be in shape. But those guys are incredibly in shape. Their mind is focused. They're, they're always paying attention. They have to strain to make sure that they're doing, if they become unfocused for a moment, it could all derail. And the same is true for us. We need to strain for it. That means you've got to fight for it. That means you've got to focus. When you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like spending time in your word, that means you need to strain for it. And do it anyway. When you don't feel like worshiping, do it anyway. When you don't feel like coming to church, do it anyway. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself as well. Because I, I, I do the same things that any of you guys do. There's Sunday mornings, I don't want to come to church. The only reason I come is because I'm preaching. <laughs> Who would preach if I didn't show up? But you know what? We have to be disciplined. We have to strain towards what God wants for us. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And then he goes on in verses 15 through 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul wanted his followers to think this way. What is this way? Well, we just read it. You guys forget already? This is the way we need to think. We need to press forward. We need to strain forward. He says, listen, guys, if any of us are mature, you should think this way. If you're a mature Christian, this should already be the mentality, the mindset that you have, is that we're going to press forward. We're not going to give up. We're not going to look back. We're not going to fail. Looking ahead, straining forward to what lies. Looking be, it's, he says if you're mature, this is the way that you should be thinking. How many of you guys want to be mature Christians? Amen. Only half of you? The rest of you guys? I want to be a mature Christian. I, I pray that I mature each and every single day. I want to know Him more. I want to get closer to Him. I want to, to, to be an example to the people around me. He says, if you're mature, this is the way that you should be thinking. And he said, and if there are areas in your life that you're not thinking this, 
God will reveal that to you. So basically, if you're mature, you should be thinking this way. If there's areas of your life that you're not thinking this way, ask God to reveal it to you. Ask God to point out where you're getting hung up, looking behind you instead of looking forward. The Scripture says God will reveal it to you. So that way you can start thinking in this way. Start thinking with a heavenly mindset instead of an earthly mindset. That's really the difference. And if you want to be a mature Christian, this is the way you need to start rewiring your brain to think this way. Sometimes we have to let go of what happened behind us. We have to let go so that we can move forward. Otherwise, we're tethered like with an anchor. You see, that's what happens sometimes is we, 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 we get a breakthrough in an area and we, we turn away, but we don't, we don't ever let go of it. It's like uh, being in a, in, a, in a cage and somebody walks up and unlocks the door and they open the door, but you refuse to get up and walk out of the cage. That's what it's like being a Christian focused on the things behind us because we're already set free, but we focus and imprison ourselves. If we focus on our failures and we let those things derail you, I know that's a sign of immaturity. That's a sign that maybe we need to press in and grow a little bit more. So the question is, if that's the case, how do we get mature? First, I think the, the most important thing that you can do to start maturing in Christ is spend time in the Word and in prayer. If you're not doing this, you're never going to grow. You're never going to figure out who you are in Christ. You're never going to learn who God really is because all you ever hear is once a week maybe me telling you about what the Bible says. The rest of the time you're getting your idea of what, of what Christianity is off of the TV shows that you watch and the news that you read. And let me tell you, they do not have it figured out. They have it all messed up. I watched a show some years ago and it was... Uh, I think it was Bones. Anybody ever watch Bones? So anyway, we had this, this, this guy who had his, his daughter was killed. And what it looked like in the initial investigation was that, that she was doing something stupid and ended up uh, 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 getting killed. And they weren't thinking anything of it. They were thinking it was, it was her own fault. But the dad shows up and he says, listen, my daughter was not there doing this thing. She's a good Christian woman. She goes to church. And I'm like, well, that's cool that they're making that case on here. And then the next thing he says, also, she just went to a fortune teller and they read her palm. And then she has this lifeline. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Like you just said she was a Christian. But that's the problem is, is if, if you learn what Christianity is based on TV, you're going to have the wrong idea of what it actually is. They mixed up spiritual and Christian. I don't know the first half of my life that's where I got my idea of what God was was off of TV and man it I was so wrong when I started learning for myself so you have to spend time every day praying and in the word set time aside get up earlier go to bed later don't eat so much at lunch leave yourself a little bit of time whatever you have to do you guys want to know when the best time to do it is whenever you'll do it I don't care when you do it morning evening just spend some time every day Start small. If you're not spending any time with God, spend 10 minutes and work up to, to more if that's what it is. But this is a discipline. And trust me, guys, I know what it's like to be busy. I know what it's like to not have enough time. And I, I'm not any different than you. There are mornings that the last thing that I want to do is open my Bible or press into God. And sometimes I make the mistake of letting myself get distracted. And other times, I decide I'm going to do it no matter what. And I'm always so thankful that I did. 
because it's worth it to spend time with him. Step two, the next thing you can do if you want to get mature is find a, a mature Christian to walk alongside. Find somebody that you can be friends with. Find, there, there are plenty of mature Christians in this room that you can come alongside. Spend some time with them. Meet with them once a week. Have dinner with them. Just barge into their life. I give you permission. Because the truth is, if they're mature, they want to be pouring into somebody else as well. Learn everything that you can from them. We have so many resources. The truth is, is I can't meet with everybody. There's just not enough of me. I know you're looking at me and say, you're pretty big. Are you sure there's not enough? There's not enough of me. Trust me. To go around. But there's other mature Christians in this room that you can meet with and grow with. And third, you need to make conscious decisions and choices to live out what God says about you. You have to remember that when you fail, instead of pointing out how horrible you are, or I can't believe I'm, I'm just such a terrible person, instead, remind yourself what God says about you. He says you're victorious. He says that you're more than a conqueror. He says that you're free from sin and death. That it has no place in your life. He says that you have the authority to stand up to the devil, and he must flee. Remind yourself what God says about you. Because the truth is, if God says it, it's true. There's no two ways about it. One of my favorite, you guys ever watched uh, uh, A Knight's Tale? One of my favorite movies. It's, uh, very it's a very interesting take on knighthood because they, they end up busting out some horns to, do the, to, to play like a, a reveille or something, but it's electric guitar sounds coming out of the horns. It's fantastic. But anyway, there's this guy. He's, he's a poor guy. He's, he's, he's got no nobility to his name. He's got nothing. And he ends up working as a squire for this knight. The, the, the knight dies, and he ends up kind of taking his place to be a knight. So these, these squires, these, these guys that are working, they have no money so they can continue eating. Anyway, he becomes really, really good, moving his way up the knightly ranks. He's faking it. He gets somebody to forge documents for him. He's trying to get at the top. But at the very end of the movie, how many know that it wouldn't be a good movie if he didn't get found out? So he gets found out. They put him in the stocks. But over the course of his, his career, he came up against Prince Edward a couple times and, and uh, uh, challenged him in jousting. And Prince Edward was really uh, appreciated the way that he handled things. Because here's the deal. When Prince Edward came up and they knew it was him, everybody else would go ahead and, and, and just bow out of, the, out of the race because if they were to fight him and hurt him, they could, go, they could be killed for hurting, knowingly endangering uh, one of the, the, what is that called? Monarchy? Patri the, those people. <laughs> we, we don't have that here. I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, so those times... Uh, he finds out it's Prince Edward, and, and Prince Edward is getting upset because nobody will joust with him. And he says, you know what? He's fine. I'm going to do it anyway. So he, he called it, uh, uh, he tilted is what he called it. He tilted his helmet and went on. And then the next time he shows up and Prince Edward is hurt, and he says, listen, I can't go on. So he backed off. He did what, they, what was considered the knightly thing to him. So anyway, he's in the stocks, and Prince Edward shows up. And they're throwing stuff at him. He says, you know what? My, my researchers have went in and looked. And they found out that in his bloodline there is uh, uh, some royalty, some knightly background. And as my word is what it's saying, it, it bears no contestation. He basically said that I've said it. It bears no contestation. He is a knight. Because he told him, he said, your people care for you, and that's knightly. And you tilted when you should have yielded. You yielded when you should have tilted. That was knightly. So he, he stood up for him. But uh, the words that he said amazed me. He said, as it's my word, it bears no contestation. And I always think about God with that. 
Because it's His Word. It bears no contestation. Think about that when you're thinking about that yourself, when you're thinking about what's going on. When God, it's God's Word. It bears no contestation. When the enemy comes and says, you know what, you're not worthy. God doesn't love you. That's not true. The Bible says that He loved you so much He gave His life for you and that you are worthy, that you are valuable. That's what the Bible says about you. That's what God's Word says. And it bears no contestation. That's why the Bible says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Because His Word bears no contestation. If you fail, remember what God says about you. And if you hear that still small voice of God regarding any situation you're in, listen to it. That's one of my biggest problems. I tell people I don't have a problem hearing from God. I hear from God all the time. My biggest problem is listening. I don't know if you guys have that problem. Sometimes I hear God clear as day and I just do my own thing anyway. It drives me crazy. And I get better and better every single day as I get closer to Him. You know what? I'm not, I'm not staying where I was. I refuse to stay where I was. I'm going to grow and get closer. I'm not there yet. But I'm going to keep pressing on. Amen? And finally, another way to mature is if you hear a small voice, like I said, listen. And the other one is resist and flee when necessary all temptation. You know that sexual sin is one of those things the Bible says that you should flee from. There's some sin that we, sh- that we should resist, that we should stand against and resist, but there's some sin we just need to get up and hightail it out of there. Resist and flee when necessary temptation. And finally, start thinking the way that Paul told us to think. Christianity is a forward-looking religion. It always has been. See, we're not concerned about your past. We're not concerned about your failings. That's why Paul said, I resolve to see everyone as Christ in them. I'm not looking at where you messed up. When I look at you, I see Jesus because anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. That person that you used to be, they're dead and gone. I'm going to see you as, you as something brand new. It's actually how grace and forgiveness works. You can't forgive somebody if you're always looking behind them. Amen? And then he goes on in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, that's the thing I talked about earlier. Get with somebody you can learn from and walk alongside. That's how we become mature. Paul says this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Other scripture, other, other scriptures, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we know that, that Paul's imitating Christ. He's a good example. So let's imitate Paul. And Paul says, I, I think this way. I do these things. He says, keep your eye. Next thing he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's not saying that you can only look at me. He says, look at other mature Christians. Do what they're doing. See how they're living their life. You know, that's why relationships are so important in the body of Christ. If we can't have a relationship with one another, we'll never be able to grow or, 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 or learn from one another. The Scripture says that, that iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. The point is, is you've got to get close enough to get sharpened. Anybody ever seen somebody try to have their, their sharpen over here and their knife over here doing this? The knife doesn't get sharpened. Those two got to rub together. And how many of you know that sometimes it makes a terrible noise? But you still got to come together. And we end up rubbing against each other and we work out the burrs. We work out the the rough spots. We need to have relationships with one another so that we can grow. 
It's been said by somebody wiser than me that every single one of us should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in our life. You see, Paul is someone to look up to. That's someone that you're going to be discipled by. They're the ones that you learn from. They're the ones that you imitate as they imitate Christ. We need to have people like that in our life. And then we need to have a Barnabas which is somebody who would be our contemporary, somebody in the same uh, basic area of our walk with Christ. These are the ones that are our friends that we can, we can bounce stuff back off of, that we can grow together with. And then every single one of us should have a Timothy, which is somebody that we're teaching and discipling. You say, what about me, Pastor? When I haven't been a Christian that long, how am I supposed to teach somebody? Well, you've been a Christian longer than, than somebody else who hasn't. Get them saved. Teach them what you know. Do the be- I mean, just share. What has God done in your life? Find somebody that you can pour into. And church, I'm telling you, if, if you're a mature Christian and you're not discipling somebody, go out of your way to find somebody young in this church that you can spend time. Give them a call once a week. See how they're doing. Give them encouragement. And if you're somebody who's, who's younger in the Lord, attach, just latch on to somebody. You're going to have to fight a little bit. You're going to have to strain forward. You're going to have to call them and say, make some time for me. If you're not doing that, then we're putting ourselves in a position where we can't grow to the the way that God wants us to grow because we're just stuck in our own little worlds. Find somebody and attach on to them. Because if you're not thinking that way, Paul says this in verse 18 and 19, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He says, imitate me and imitate others who are walking like me, but be careful of those who aren't. Because there were many people who were doing the complete opposite. And one thing that I, I find amazing about Paul is Paul's warning them. He says, I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. Paul wasn't angry at these people. He was heartbroken about these people. What he's talking about is, is these, these, are, these are Christians, people that profess to be Christians but are living anything but. And he, he mourns over them with tears because Paul actually wants nothing but Christ in them as well. He wants them to live like Christ. He wants them to be even as, as He is. But there were people out there who were, who were being distracted or they were using Christianity to their own gain. They, were, they, were, they weren't living the life that they should be living. And I don't know if in this particular instance Paul was referring to the Judaizers or if he was referring to the Gnostics. You remember the Judaizers were those Jews who became Christians that, oh, you can only become a Christian if you follow the law of Moses and you get circumcised. And the Gnostics were those who, who became, uh, from the Greek side, they became Christians, but their idea of, of getting saved was about uh, being in a special camp and, and their, their attainments and who they knew and their, their abilities are what got them saved. And Paul says, I, I'm mourning for these people because the problem is, is walking like that, they become enemies of the cross. He said their end is destruction because they're walking away from what God has for them. And then he goes on to say their, their God is their belly. And what he means by that is that their, bego- their God became all those things in life that, that is, he's not just talking about food, but it's all those earthly things in life. 
Their own wants and their desires became their God. And that's what they succumbed to. That's what they, they bowed to. If they wanted something, they just went and did it. They essentially became their own God. And then he goes on to say that these people, they glory in their shame. And what he means like this is that the very things that should have been causing them shame, they were glorifying. You know, I see that in this world today. We see all kinds of people that are, are glorifying and stuff that should bring them shame. But he's actually talking about Christians. You know, you see it in the world and you're like, that stinks. But we're crazy if we expect non-Christians to act like Christians. But Paul's talking about Christians. These are supposed to be people that they're, 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 they're proclaiming that they're Christians, but they're, their God is their belly, their own wants and desires, and they glory in their shame. And then, but why is this? Because their mind is set on earthly things. Their only concern is with earthly status and position. But then Paul goes on, and we'll end on, he, on these couple of verses. But our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's now talking about a spiritual future. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. You see, that's the thing that Paul, I think, is most concerned about is our spiritual future, where we're going to spend eternity, what's going to happen to us. And church, if you're a born-again believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're no longer a citizen of earth, but you're a citizen of heaven. And as such, your value is not determined by earthly things. Your value is not determined by your earthly status. Your value is not determined by the job that you have, by the friends that you have, by the money that you have, by the house that you have, by the car that you have. None of that determines your value. Your value is determined by what somebody was willing to pay for you. And you were considered as valuable as the life of Jesus Christ because that was what was paid for you. And we have a Savior that when He returns, He's going to transform you. I don't know about you guys, but I'm looking forward to that. I've already got my new body picked out. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good looking. You guys are going to be jealous if we could be jealous. You know, we're going to, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be transformed. We're going to be, I can't wait. Do you know why I can't wait? Because I'm finally going to be able to see like he wants me to see. I'm finally going to, right now the scripture says that it's like we look in a, in a, in a mirror dimly. We don't, it's, it's more clear than it's ever been. But we still don't have it all. We're still figuring some of it out. And some of it's not going to be revealed until he comes back. But I can't wait because in an instant we're going to know who we really are. We're going to know every bit about it. We're not going to be confused. It's not going to be like we look at ourselves in a mirror and we turn away and forget what we look like. We're going we're gonna to know who it is. We're going to be transformed in a moment. I can't wait for that. But he says that our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious, glorious, glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things. You know what? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead the same power that is going to be in Jesus when he comes back and he's going to subject everything to, his, to him. He's going to make even the death, the last enemy, like a footstool under his feet. That same power is what's going to raise us from the dead in the resurrection. It's going to make it. That's the same power actually that makes you brand new right now. 
You know, one of the things I, I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven. I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to meet Jesus. I can't wait to, to have a full understanding of who I am in Him. But I'm also not willing to sit on my butt right now and not understand that I can have a little bit of heaven right now because of what Christ has accomplished inside of me. I don't have to wait to get to heaven to finally be set free from the sin and temptation in my life because He's already done it right now. I don't have to wait to get to heaven to, be, to put my faith and trust in Him for healing and stuff that's going on in my body because healing was purchased by Him, by the blood of the cross. I can put my faith in Him and instead of uh, waiting for victory one day when I die, I can have victory right now because I'm a citizen of heaven, amen? Church, I would encourage you to live and think this way as well. Let go of the stuff that falls behind you. Some of you right now are, are dealing with stuff in your life and you can't figure out, you seem like you can't figure out how to let it go, how to get past it. Seems like that every day the same temptations come and you fail over and over and over again, but I want you to know you need to stop looking at the failure and start looking to Him. Strain towards Him. Strain towards that, to, to the victory. When, when that stuff comes, listen to His voice. Get in the Word. Put your trust in Him. And if you do happen to fall, thank God the, the Scripture says in the book of John that we have an advocate, amen? We have an advocate if we fail. Just get back up. If you're consciously making the same choices every single day, you need to make a correction in your life. But strive towards the goal. And church, if there's any of you who's not thinking in that way in any area of your life, Ask God to show it to you so that you can press in. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head.